Good morning. I'd invite you to go ahead and be opening your Bibles up to the book of Luke. The book of Luke. That's where we're going to be starting our study this morning. Uh, spending a little bit of time here. <clears throat> and as you can maybe possibly tell by the screen behind me what the topic of our study is going to be this morning. Uh, as you're turning there to the book of Luke, I would like to take just a moment to, to welcome each and every one of you out um, to the Lake Street Church of Christ, especially those of you who are visiting with us. I hope you know that you are, you are very welcomed here, and we are very appreciative of your, of your attendance. And just in case we haven't had the opportunity to, to shake your hand and to spend some time talking with you before services, we hope that maybe you will stick around for just a moment afterwards so that we can get to do that. Here at the Lake Street Church of Christ, we, we strive to do everything in spirit and in truth. And so as we worship God this morning and as we, we read from His Word, we are trying to do everything that we can to do so in accordance to His will. And so if there's anything that you see this morning or that you had questions about this morning, I hope that you would come and you would, you would bring those up to us. We would consider you our friend for us to discuss those things together. Now in Luke chapter 17, we read about what I have on the board behind me. Jesus heals the ten lepers. And I want to spend some time considering the thoughts uh, that this, this passage uh, reveals to us. In Luke chapter 17, verse 11, we read, While he was on the way to Jerusalem, he was passing between Samaria and Galilee. And as he entered a village, ten leprous men who stood at a distance met him. And they raised their voices, saying, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. When he saw them, he said to them, Go and show yourself to the priests. And as they were going, they were cleansed. Now one of them, when he saw that he had been healed, turned back, glorifying God with a loud voice, and he fell on his face at his feet, giving thanks to him. And he said, and he was a Samaritan. Then Jesus answered and said, Were there not ten cleansed? But the nine, where are they? Was no one found who returned to give glory to God except this foreigner? And he said to him, Stand up and go. Your faith has made you well. Now, I invite you to, to do as I have often done. When you think of this story, when you, when you hear the account of Jesus heals the ten lepers, to, to look back in your memory and think, what's, what's the first thing that I think of when I think of this story? For me, the first thing that I think of involves exactly what you see on the screen behind me. Flannel board cutouts. That's what I think of when I think of Jesus heals the ten lepers. And that should probably say something about how effective those flannel board cutouts were from when I was a child in Bible class. The, the teacher would, would set the scene and they would put all this stuff up and they would, you would have the, the, ten, uh, the nine lepers off by themselves and you would have Jesus and, and the lone leper who returned to give thanks. But I want to tell us something that, that I think maybe is, is more important for us to understand than we might sometimes consider. This is not a children's story. And this is not some form of a fable. Now, I doubt any of us here look at this story and think that this is some sort of made-up story. I hope that that is not the case. This is, this is a very true story accounting the power of Christ. But, but when we think of this story, sometimes we think of it as just a child story meant to teach children children lessons. Maybe a little lesson about gratitude. Maybe that's the way we sometimes think about this. And the fact is, it's just, it's not just that. Certainly that is an aspect of this story, but there is so much more to be learned. This story has major applications for, the, for, for young and old alike. 
Sometimes we can become guilty of watering down the message of Christ and not even realize we're doing it. We do that with, with stories such as David and Goliath, Noah and the flood, Moses and, and, and the children of Israel and the plagues in Egypt. Whenever we consider these things, sometimes we, we look at, at our children and we say, they're just not ready to understand why, why God would, would kill the firstborn child of, of, of the Egyptians. They're not ready to understand uh, the, the, the violence that is maybe involved in a story like David and Goliath or while the whole world was destroyed by a flood. I tell you what, you'd be surprised how much they are ready to understand. How sometimes those hearts are so much more opened to this word than maybe we ourselves can even be. And yes, I understand the importance of, of handling sometimes very graphic and violent stories uh, with, with a, a certain amount of care for the young hearts that hear them. But see, a real problem occurs whenever we water these passages down and then we forget to go back and read them and understand the real messages that can be taught from them. And so that's what I want to do this morning. That's what I want to do with this story here of the ten lepers and, and Jesus. And to begin, and we consider the lessons that are learned from these ten lepers, we need to turn back to Leviticus. Back to the Old Testament, Leviticus chapter 13. And as we turn back here, we will see a whole chapter that is devoted to testing for leprosy and for instructions about leprosy. Leviticus chapter 13 have all sorts of instructions here about leprosy. If we were to read in verses 2 through 3, we would see that, they, that if you were suspected of having this disease, of having leprosy, you were to go and you were to show yourself to the priest. And these instructions that we read throughout here were instructions for what the priests were to look for and how to determine whether something was maybe eczema or just a scab or whether it was in fact leprosy. And so we read down, as we would read down through here and study this, and we're not going to look at all of this passage today, but we have all sorts of information about what they were to look for in leprosy. But notice verses 45 through 46. Leviticus 13 verse 45 says, As for the leper who has the infection, his clothes shall be torn. The hair of his head shall be uncovered. And he shall cover his mustache and cry, Unclean, unclean. He shall remain unclean all the days during which he has the infection. He is unclean. He shall live alone. His dwelling shall be outside the camp. And so if one was found by the priest to be, to be unclean, if they were found to have the disease of leprosy, it was, it was a really a, a rough life that they were, a rough set of time they were going to endure. <clears throat> if they were found infected, they had to wear torn clothes. Their, their, their physical appearance was going to be changed so that other people would see them and know this person has this disease. Their clothes were to be torn and tattered. Their hair was not to be kept. Uh, it, was, it was to hang loose. And they were to cover their upper lip and they were to cry out, unclean, unclean, living alone, living outside the camp, living away from their families. The leper was then considered not just physically unclean, though. They were also considered spiritually unclean. Many believed the disease... Was, was linked back to uh, a curse inflicted by God because of sins that they had committed. Now possibly this is because if you consider over in Numbers chapter 5, 
uh, excuse me, no, Numbers chapter 12, verses 10 through 15, we have the account of Miriam. When she, when she grumbles and, and she challenges the authority of Moses and, and God strikes her with leprosy. And so a lot of times this was considered a punishment for sin. So this was always, oftentimes considered a spiritual uncleanness. But in fact, those who were with leprosy were so very despised by the people around them that not only were they not allowed to live within the community, we already said, talked about how they had to dwell outside the camps, but outside of Scripture, Jewish rabbis would put even more restriction on, on those with leprosy, saying that if you had leprosy, you, you can't even approach within usually a body's dis, uh, distance, so within six feet of a clean person. And if the wind is blowing, if the wind is blowing, you can't come within 150 feet of a clean person. So this was a terrible, terrible disease. Now understanding what, what Leviticus reads uh, and teaches us about, about leprosy, let's consider again in the light of Luke chapter 17 what's being discussed here. Notice in verse 12 of Luke chapter 17. Verse 12 says, As he entered a village, ten leprous men who stood at a distance met him. Again, what a pitiful life that these men must have lived. As we consider, these men would have, would have probably had very torn clothes. They would have, uh, would have not looked like they had been uh, uh, very well kept. They had probably not, not been able to, to do a lot of the things that they would have been able to do when they were at their home, whenever they were in the village. But these men stood at a distance from him. Again, in keeping with the, the Jewish traditions that they had for those with leprosy. A very pitiful life based upon the restrictions that have been placed upon them. But even in this pitiful life, notice something remarkable about what they say to him. In the very next verse, in verse 13, they raise their voices saying, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. I think it's really important to point out here the fact that these lepers, whether, whether just one and all the rest chimed in or all ten, they recognized Jesus. And they recognized him more as just, just a person. You know, up to this point, Jesus has been traveling around the area, and there's been a lot of teaching going on. There's been a lot of, of um, miracles that have been performed, a lot of people who have been healed. And so it's easy to think that they would have saw him and his reputation would have preceded him. But they did not just exclaim, look, there's that man that's taking sick people and making them better. They said, no, Jesus Master, they recognized something specific about Jesus that few others had recognized up to this point. Even his disciples had failed sometimes to recognize this up to this point. And we likewise need to consider that we should approach Jesus as well from a distance. We must approach Jesus from a distance, remembering that we, that we were not like him. We were impure we were unclean from the effects of sin, but because we can approach Him, we must. And we must do so recognizing Him as they did as a master. To those lepers, they saw Jesus as holding a place of authority. To them, Jesus was one who could, who could help with a problem that up to this point no man has been able to solve. Leprosy was a, a disease without a cure. People didn't go to the priest and he prescribed, this is what you do to be made clean. People went to the priest and he said, you go out of town and hopefully you become clean and then come back and you present yourself to me and I'll, I'll give you a certificate or I will pronounce you uh, clean. 
But you just go out and, and you, you pray, you hope that this, that this goes away. And a lot of times what that was was a death sentence. They went outside of the camp. They dwelled by themselves. They dwelled with leprosy until the day they died. So this is a problem that no man has been able to solve. But these, these lepers, they see Jesus as not just one who has an authority. They see him as one who is able to save them. And notice what they say to him. Again, not Jesus. Please take away this awful disease. Jesus, please, please heal these, these boils and these lesions. Please, please take away the restrictions that I am under. They say, Jesus, just have mercy on me. Just have mercy upon us, Jesus. And similarly, we must throw ourselves upon the mercy of Christ. Remember what Lamentations says over Lamentations chapter 3, verse 22. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. His compassion never fails. See, they had done nothing deserving to have this disease removed. But yet they recognized Jesus as a source of salvation. And they cast themselves down upon his, his tender mercy. And that's a great example for us today. Now next is the really amazing part. Because next is where we read in the scriptures that, that at this point, the heavens open and lightning strikes and there's thunder and the sound of God comes down and this amazing thing happens. Was that not in your translation? Oh, that's right, because that's not in there. That's not what happens. They throw themselves at Jesus in front of Jesus' mercy. They say, have mercy upon us. And he says, go show yourself to the priests. Very simple. No fireworks. <clears throat> Excuse me, no fireworks. Just, just a simple command. Go and show yourself to the priests. This is very similar to what we read in passages like 2 Kings chapter 5 with Naaman. Naaman the leper, who went and expected these amazing sights to unfold, and yet he's told, you just, just go rinse seven times in the Jordan. What about Numbers 21? When the Israelites grumbled, you know, we, we read in Deuteronomy 4 this, this morning in class about the commandment given to the Israelites to, to obey that which they heard so that they could inherit the promised land. Well, they get to the promised land, and instead of obeying the things they heard, they turned away. They said, we, we can't do this. God can't do this. And so they're forced to go back out into the wilderness, and what do they do? They go out in the wilderness, they say, Moses, this is your fault. This is your fault, Moses, that we're out here in the wilderness. And Numbers 21 reports that, that God said, no, it's yours. And so he sent snakes into the camp, and the snakes began to bite, and, and people were dying. And they went, and they said, you know, we, we need, what, what can we do to be saved from this? And again, the answer wasn't some just huge, amazing sign and light show. and It was a bronze serpent. Look upon the bronze serpent, and all who look upon it will be saved. A simple command. But the books of, in the book of Acts, in chapter 2, the Jews who are pierced to the heart under the understanding that we have crucified the Christ, and we talked about the, the, the terribleness of, uh, of what he endured throughout his life and through that crucifixion last Sunday morning. And that, that is what they were realizing. We did this to the Son of God. What can we possibly do? And yet again, a, a simple command. Repent and be baptized so that you can be forgiven of your sins. Chapter 8 and, and the Samaritans. When Philip went preaching the good news throughout Samaria, the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ was being preached, and Samaritans, they were coming to him, and they were being baptized, men and women alike. 
Or Acts chapter 16 in the Philippian jailer. We read there, uh, after, after the, the earthquake and, and, and the, the, the doors were open and, and, and all the prisoners were still found there, and this Philippian jailer said, what must I do to be saved? And what did they say to him? They said, you must believe. And immediately, he and his household were baptized. These are all just simple commands. Simple commands, but commands that must be followed. And when the lepers followed the command that was given to them, go and show yourself to the priests, what happened? They were made clean. But now, just back up a second. Consider just how difficult that command must have been. Now, honestly, the the actual observing of that command is not that difficult. We're just going to physically walk ourselves to the priest and show ourselves to the priest. But the, the temptation must have been so real Whenever you say, Master, have mercy upon me, and he says, go show yourself to the priest, to go, why? Why go show myself to the priest? I still have leprosy. Look at my arms. Look at my face. I still have this disease. I don't want to go see the priest until I'm clean. There would have been a significant temptation to think, this guy right here, he's nuts. This guy right here is not who I thought he was. He, he, he was supposed to do something for me, but all he has told me to do is, is to go see the priest. That's not what happened. Instead, and again, I think this is the part that we overlook, not one, not two, but all of them obeyed. All ten went to show themselves to the priest. All ten were subsequently made clean. Sure, one of them is going to be singled out in just a moment, but up to this point, all of them are walking in obedience to Christ towards the priest. Now let's continue reading verses 15 through 16. Now one of them, when he saw that he had been healed, turned back, glorifying God with a loud voice, and he fell on his face at his feet and giving thanks to him, and he was a Samaritan. Let's consider, just for a minute, this, this reaction. You have ten lepers walking to show the priest, at, at this point, that we're still lepers. But somewhere along the way, as odd as that must have felt, they are made clean. And nine lepers continue on in obedience to Christ. Nine lepers probably thought, He said to go see the priest. That's exactly what I'm going to do. We will go see the priest. And I want you to remember this and note that nine lepers will not be condemned for obedience. That is not what Jesus is going to say here in a moment. But we have one leper that turns back. Now because the story tells us we know this leper was a Samaritan, and so I can't help but wonder, what did these other nine lepers think when the one leper turned around And went back. Because it's obvious that he didn't do it in secret. They all knew that he had turned around and went back. Because he did it while loudly proclaiming, as the scriptures record, glories to God. So they think, you know what, that guy's crazy. Maybe they thought, you know what, that guy's a Samaritan. And we're off walking here to the priest. And when we get here, I don't know what he's going to do. Because the priests aren't really, the priests are Jewish. They're not going to be interested in this Samaritan. You remember what the Samaritan woman said to Jesus over in John when she said, you know, the Jews say Jerusalem is the only place to worship. 
The Jews were saying, we worship the right, the right way. You worship the wrong way. So maybe they thought, you know what, that's just that crazy Samaritan worshiping his way. But either way, they, they kept on towards where God, or where Jesus had pointed them to. Now maybe a, a good side point to interject here is that while these nine continued on to see the priest, the Samaritan didn't disobey Jesus in turning back. Because in turning back, the Samaritan went to the one true priest. The truest priest, they might not have seen him. They might not have even cared about him. But Christ, a priest under the order of Melchizedek, he certainly cared. So this Samaritan, in turning back to Christ, is not only obeying him, he's possibly doing so more accurately than those who went all the way to the Levitical priests. And while we don't know exactly what these other nines were thinking at this point, one thing that is very obvious, the Samaritan, he doesn't seem to care what they're thinking. Glorifying God with a loud voice, turning back when no one else is following, following on, uh, falling on his face at the feet of Jesus and thanking him. Let's say this Samaritan amazes me. And this Samaritan sets an example for me. Because the question that might come to our minds is, why don't more people today, or maybe this question should be more personal, why don't I do this today? Why don't I react to Jesus like this today? Is it possible that, that in our reactions to the blessings of Christ, that we sometimes are afraid to look a little bit too much like, like other denominations? Walking down the street and some friend uh, with some friends and maybe we receive some good news uh, of, of a, a blessing or something that has come our way. And we say, you know what, I want to stop right here in the middle of the street. I want to stop right wherever we're at and I want to give glory to God for this. Can we, can we pray together? Maybe can we even, can, let's, let's sing a song as we walk down the street. And even when we do pray together, oftentimes it's a very quiet prayer. Maybe it's a very, very kind of a mild-mannered prayer. And the question is... What is it that we're afraid of looking like? I'm afraid of looking too too charismatic? Am I afraid of looking like like one of these these holy roller, one of these emotional groups that maybe have gotten so many things, so many things wrong? Am I afraid of looking like them? So I refrain from doing exactly what the Bible records the Samaritan as doing? And think of the example that the Samaritan sets for us. And we need to learn a little bit about examples as well. One of the first things that we learn about examples is that they're not always going to be followed. This Samaritan, he turns, he, he, he loudly proclaims these glories, he's marching back to Jesus. And those nine, they just keep on a trucking. They're going where they're going. And so, yeah, we certainly see that there's, there's times when our example is just going to completely not, not make a difference whatsoever. People aren't going to care what we're doing, and they're just going to go on with their lives. But you know, we also mentioned the Philippian jailer a minute ago in Acts chapter 16. And there was a time that those examples did go noticed. Because as we read in Acts chapter 16, that Paul and Silas, they are, they are in prison for, for, what they, for, for their work in the kingdom. But they're setting an example for each and every person in that prison that is there. Because chapter 25 says that they were singing praises to God and they were praying to God and that the prisoners were listening to them. They were setting an example and it was going noticed. Never discount the power of a good example. Sometimes it leads to absolutely nothing but our own well-being. 
Sometimes, as in the case of Acts 16, it brings a soul and his household to Christ. You know, this point was brought up in our study at Jay's place. We studied this exact topic. So, for those of you that were there, this is a bit of a repeat. Uh, But we studied this topic, and this point was brought up. I said, don't ever think that our examples just aren't noticed, or that just don't go anywhere, but just around us. Because here we have an example of an unnamed Samaritan. We don't know anything more about this guy except for what's recorded here. And yet that example that he said is still affecting people today, 2,000 years after the fact. 2,000 years after the fact, he is still glorifying God in his actions. We mustn't concern ourselves with the way that, that, that people will, will respond to our examples. We mustn't discredit the distance that an example can travel. But going on, let's learn a little bit more about what Jesus thought about this guy's response. In verse 17, Jesus answered and said, Were there not ten cleansed? But the nine, where are they? Was no one found who returned to give glory to God except for this foreigner? Obviously, whether or not these, these other nine, whether or not they noticed, whether or not they cared what the Samaritan did, Jesus, he certainly cared about the Samaritan's response. So much so that he basically asks, where's everybody else? Why didn't everyone else do what you have done? We must ask ourselves the same thing. Do we do what the Samaritan has done? And note in Jesus' question in verse 18, he did not say, was, was, uh, or he did say, was no one found who returned to give glory to God except this foreigner? Think of the different ways Jesus could have stated that. He could have said, why didn't anyone else come back to thank me like you thanked me? What about all the people that, that I healed? Where are they? But instead he teaches us that, that his power, his compassion, his mercy is shown to us not to draw our attention to Christ, but to bring us humbly before God and to magnify him. So it is to God's glory when Christ healed the ten lepers. The same way it is to God's glory when we serve in any sort of capacity. Whether it is a a message that is preached, it is to God's glory. A song that is sung, it is to God's glory. A prayer that is prayed, it is to God's glory. Jesus didn't look to the Samaritan and say, that's right. That's right, You you don't forget who did this. No, he looked at the Samaritan he said, you got it right by glorifying God. And then verse 19. He said to him, stand up and go. Your faith has made you well. An interesting thing that we don't read about in this passage is, is that the other nine were somehow stripped of their, of their cleanness. The blessing that was given to them taken away. We don't read that anywhere in the scripture, although we, we sometimes might, might think that that would be justified. That's not written or recorded anywhere in here. We don't read that leprosy was placed back upon them. It would seem that they, they likely just continued on to the priest, showed themselves to the priest. They were clean. They went back to their lives. They were healed by the power of Christ. No doubt about it. But this Samaritan receives a, a double blessing, if you will, in that he was made clean, and Jesus acknowledges that it was done so by his faith. 
This is the case today as well. We are blessed every day by God. The sunshine, the rain, our, our, our warm houses in, in, in the wintertime, our cold houses in the, in the summertime, our health, our security. And you know what? These blessings, they fall upon the righteous and the unrighteous alike. But they are sweetened when they are received through prayers of faith and through songs of gratitude. And I don't want to suggest, just like these nine, I don't, I don't believe that these nine were unthankful for, for receiving their cleanness. We consider everything that they likely went through. Remember, the torn clothes, the, the, the hair, the, the shouting unclean, not being able to approach their family, not to be able to approach another human being. I don't imagine you're made clean and you go, eh, I don't care. imagine that was probably a pretty big deal to them. And similarly, I imagine the, those who are unrighteous, they probably are very thankful for the, the things that they have. But the righteous man is even more blessed. Because through the blessing and through the opportunity that they receive through that blessing to draw closer to God in faith. The story of Jesus heals the ten lepers is a story that reflects the power of God through obedience in Christ to bring about salvation. We need to see the similarities between us and this Samaritan leper as well. Because to the Jews, the Samaritans, they were were inferior. They were were half-breeds. They were not God's true people, and so they were were looked down upon. (coughs) To the Jews... Samaritans were, were outcasts. They, they were somebody that just needed to live outside of our society. But to complicate that even more, this Samaritan was a leper. So he was, he was an outcast of an outcast. He was as far removed as one could possibly be. And that is the effect sin has on the soul. It removes us as far from God as we can possibly be. We must call upon Him at a distance because sin has done that. It has driven us apart. But calling upon Jesus as our Savior, begging for His mercy, we find a command. Again, we don't find laser shows and we don't find these miraculous things. We find a simple command. Go show yourself to the priest. Christ is our high priest. John 14 says He is the way, the truth, and the life. And so, if we want to approach the Father, if we want that distance to be, to, to be taken away and to be able to come to God, we do it through Jesus. The question is, how do we do that? We do that by faith. A faith that moves us to obedience. A faith that is living. A faith that is strong. So we must obey the words that Christ commanded. Like in Mark chapter 16 and verse 16 when Jesus said, He that believes and is baptized will be saved. Or the words of His apostle that He, that he chose, that He revealed His message to in Romans 10.10 10, who said, It is through confession that one receives salvation. The same apostle, Paul, in Acts chapter 17 verse 30 said, There was a time when, Christ, when God overlooked ignorance, but today He demands repentance. He demands us to turn from the world and to turn to Him. 
when we are living, when we have a living faith, it will prompt us to obey everything that, that, that Christ has commanded us to do. And in doing so, we will find salvation, not because we have earned it, because that is where, how Christ offers it. He offers it through obedience, the same way He offered salvation to these ten lepers, through obedience. But that same face also prompts us, it should prompt us, to in turn glorify God. Are you living that faith? That's the question we need to ask ourselves this morning. Does my life glorify God for the salvation that He has made available through His Son, Christ Jesus? If not, then I want to remind you of the words that Jesus spoke in this story. Was no one found who returned glory to God? This morning, if we can help you in, in coming to the Lord in obedience, or if, or if you're in need of confessing something to, to the saints because sin has, has somehow uh, again separated you from God, I'm going to remind you, we have water here. Baptism is available. We have those here that are, that are full of love and full of care for you. And so if you have a problem that you, that you would like to make known, that we can pray together. We can confess to one another so that, that that sin might be forgiven. Whatever we can do to assist you this morning, I encourage you, please come forward and let it be known right now as we stand and as we sing.